Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Samuel across the country on Blog Talk Radio and later on BFlow360.com. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. I am Mike Gardner, back in the studio for the first time in a long time as we are now joined by my partner in crime, the notorious Ben Florence. Yeah, the game has reunited, hasn't it? It really has been. I almost forgot that this is actually your show. So You've done a great job. I'm glad to... Definitely want to uh, thank Ben for. Yeah, I was going to say, want to thank you again for uh, getting us out of a bit of a hole and keeping the show going strong. Some great interviews, great content, great show coming up for you on hand here on Friday the 13th, June 13th. We have NBA Finals talk of how good the Spurs really are, how boring the Stanley Cup has been, or if the Kings or the New York Rangers could do anything about it. Pinehurst is alive and well at the U.S. Open. And uh, some interesting uh, AU Athletics news later uh, in the show. But we begin today with uh, the Coupe de Mundial, Das Weltmeisterschaft, or as many know it here in America as the World Cup. Uh, a couple mm. games have already been under the, uh, in the books. Right now we're at halftime of the Netherlands and Spain. That's 1-1. Mexico 1-1-0 against Cameroon. And Brazil opened up their World Cup campaign with a 3-1 defeat over Croatia. Beeflo, how excited do you have soccer fever like many of, of Americans and billions across the world? I certainly do. Um, I am definitely so excited for this World Cup. I can't wait for the U.S. to kick off because I know we're certain to uh, do some damage in the World Cup. I think it's great with that. I didn't watch the Cameroon-Mexico game. But based on my from what I've heard, uh, various people say it, it's 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 great that the NBA playoffs is coming to a conclusion when the FIFA World Cup is starting because we're just getting a consistent stream of just terrible refereeing. Mexico with two goals called back and offside. Apparently, this is what I heard on the radio, they had it offside on a corner kick. Can you explain that? Is that, <laughs> that possible? Is, I was going to say, I don't think that is. Um, I thought it was a foul at first. They never... Of course, I wasn't watching it on ESPN. I was watching it on Univision to get the uh, the full Mexican bias. So I had no idea oh. what they were saying. <laughs> but I I think I think it was a I think it was either a foul. I don't think it was an offside. But nevertheless, they won in what could only be described as torrential downpour. 
which caused mm. a lot of concern for American fans because that was, that match was played in Natal, uh, which in, on Monday the United States will take on Ghana in that very same arena. So the elements are getting the best of the World Cup. It's funny how the World Cup is two days in, and yep. uh, before we had stadiums collapse, we had uh, rioting in the streets, workers on strike, and now the World Cup is finally here, and the opening game, the floodlights went out at, yep. the, Sao Paulo, at the Sao Paulo Stadium or wherever Brazil is playing, and then torrential downpour, so it would be saturated fields across the, uh, across the, uh, the east coast of Brazil. And uh, did you hear the story about Manaus? This uh, wonderful Amazonian city in which the field has patches of dirt. And rumors was, reading a Daily Mail article, that FIFA paid workers to spray paint the field green to cover the brown patches. FIFA, what a mistake to put it in Brazil. Well, I don't know. I think definitely Brazil has a uh, significant amount of problems. But I think the biggest problem is that they decided to put a, a build a stadium in a city where, yes, Manaus has about 2 million people, it's virtually impossible to access by road. You have to access there by, uh, you know, your plane or boat through the through uh, the Amazon River. Um, a, you're playing in the heart of the rainforest. You're building a stadium to where there's no team there's like one like small soccer team that averages like two thousand stairs, two thousand fans. They built a forty thousand seat stadium solely for the World Cup. The only way they could build it is by having to put all the materials on a boat to send it there. It's a complete train wreck. You wouldn't think of all the other places they could they could build uh, the. Re- and besides, this is the distance from Manaus to uh, Sao Paulo or to Rio, it's about, it's about the distance of, say, New York to Miami. Now, it's obviously different in the United States because, you know, you can actually drive to Miami. It's not in the middle of a rainforest. So it's a complete a train wreck. The fact that they're – I mean, I don't know. I think that's maybe even worse than when they had the Gold Cup semifinal game at Cowboy Stadium or AT&T Stadium. They had the green dirt they threw on the on the field, but uh, it's a mess. It's a total mess. And and besides the Sao Paulo stadium that opened yesterday, that barely got fixed. The World gave like last week. They could have sold like thirty thousand tickets. It's a, it's a it's a mess. But eventually, I think that uh, even with Manaus, because they're only hosting a hearty four games there, I think that's. That is definitely going to be terrific. And it's also great that, you know, the United States is playing there. Uh, and then you got Italy and uh, England playing there. That's not a big game at all. So it's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, the, the, the England-Italy game, that's the first match that we played at Manaus. And that's uh, tomorrow afternoon, I believe, which uh, now throws a lot of variables into this World Cup. As we saw with the, uh, the wonderful refereeing this morning of the Mexico-Cameroon game, many and then costly penalties being awarded. Actually, Spain scored on a penalty kick just earlier this afternoon, and Brazil did last night uh, by yeah. way of a dive. Many are now finding uh, <laughs> sort of scapegoats, and now a new one has been added. Other than refereeing, they now can uh, can blame the uh, the stadium or the elements for uh, for the games. But besides all that, 
A two-part question, wondering what is sort of the next uh, fiasco, like three stooges thing that's going to happen to the World Cup? Um, the next thing, wow. Uh, I can see there being a game in one of these stadiums that ends up only being like half-filled or the fact that there's like you, you get – protesters that are in the stadium and are protesting the game inside the stadium. Um, because there were active protests yesterday. Um, because it is kind of ridiculous that Brazil built all these stadiums and all this money because Brazil's got a pretty, actually a very sizable gap between the very wealthy and the very poor. And, and now there was a, I see, I think a Debson that, uh, that it's titled FIFA is just uh, systematically destroying Brazilian favelas, which favelas are like kind of like the, almost like the slums. They're like um, in these you know cities. So be, it'll, you'll have like a like a luxury building, and then you have these little like shacks. So it's a mess. Uh, Brazil, uh, it's it's a little all over the place right now, and it's it's not not a good thing at all. So. But we'll see how the the World Cup goes on here. It is, yeah, it makes it make matters days. worse. I love how ESPN has their their studio on the Copacabana Beach, a, be, a beautiful area. But um, have you seen their studio? It looks it looks nothing more it looks nothing more similar to a uh, to an on the border patio seating. What's wrong with that? But the funny thing is, it's on this beach. So they keep showing, you know, those luxury condos and hotels on the beach. And it's, you sort of wonder. I wonder what's on the next block over. Now, we still have a few minutes left of World Cup talk. What are some of the big things on the, on the field of play that you're looking for besides, you know, the, the broken stadiums and the dirt grass and the protesters and, you know, flares flying throughout the streets of Brazil? Soccer-wise, what are you looking forward to? Well, I think it was interesting yesterday with the, uh, the Brazilians. Maybe it's just me. I watched – that whole game, it seemed that Brazil was getting a significant amount of calls, including the aforementioned penalty, which I under I, I can see why it was called because the Croatian player did have his hands on the guy, and when you put your hands on somebody, it's it's like uh, it's like having like a single sheet of paper flying through the wind, and that a player will immediately fall down and you'll get a call. Brazil got a significant amount of calls, and. They were the better team, but Croatia is not like – Croatia is far from the worst team. A lot of people think that they're going to advance out of group A. I think the refereeing is definitely going to be something to uh, watch. And I think what's going to be interesting, how will will these teams that are not used to the climate, a team like the Croatia, Eastern uh, Eastern European teams, uh, Northern European teams, how do they adapt to this climate? And that is very, you know, very warm, but it's, uh, you know, obviously, especially when you're in Manaus, which literally is the rainforest, and very humid, uh, can be very hot. How will these teams that are not used to it, that are not used to, like, South American clubs are, and maybe some clubs in Africa a little bit, but mostly the South American teams, you know, Brazil, Argentina, a little Ecuador action. How will those teams not used to the climate adjust to it? Because that definitely should be something to watch for, the teams that are not used to playing this kind of weather. 
Yeah, interesting. Because um, we said a lot. Uh, it's a, like you said, rainforest climate. So this morning, Mexico is facing torrential downpour, or you can have you know humidity up the wazoo. And just uh, breaking news: Iron Robin has indeed scored for the Netherlands. So the How Dutch up two-one, the fifty-third minute on a uh, beautiful shot inside the box. So the defending champs are trailing here in the early group stages. Uh, before we get off the World Cup talk, how do you think the U.S. will fare? You think we're going to get the more you you listen to what people are saying, you have Alexi Lawless behind the whole "I believe we can win" campaign, but then you have Jurgen Klinsmann uh, once again standing by his comments saying the U.S. isn't ready for this. What do you make of all of it? I think that I think Klinsmann. I think what's great about what Klinsmann said is that he is absolutely true. He said we're not going to win the World Cup. The U.S. has never come close to winning the World Cup before. So as to why people would be fired up by that comment, is totally absurd. I mean, I talked about it last week, and uh, I don't know if you saw the Wilbon comments, which were completely outrageous. But I think that, I think for the U.S. this time, similar to the 2010 World Cup, if the United States can get out of group play, I think Jurgen Klinsmann and I think the team and I think fans of U.S. soccer should be happy because it is. What do you consider that to be the, the group of death? What do they consider other groups? So be it. It's a very tough one. Germany is the favorite. They should get by Portugal. If Ronaldo, if Cristiano Ronaldo is not 100, percent I still think he's good enough to get by the United States. But if you're, and then you still have Ghana, the team that is dropped the United States the last two times. What the United States can hope for is that Ronaldo is not 100%. They get a draw to that. They beat Ghana and maybe get a draw out of Germany if Germany has locked everything up. I believe the United States plays Germany's third. You can correct me on that if I'm wrong. But I think even getting out of the group stage, I I don't think they're going to finish last in the group, but I wouldn't be surprised by it either, honestly. I think that this is this is not the year for the United States to make that strong performance in the World Cup. I, I honestly, I don't see it. It's smart. It's smart tactical coaching by Ian Clemson because it's always great. I think Tony Kornheiser said this on PTI a couple of days ago. It's always good to, and you see this a lot with NFL coaches, especially the uh, the, the really low teams that don't necessarily get to the playoffs year in and year out. You set Absolutely. very low expectations. So you say, we're not going to win. But then once you get a, a positive result, say a win or a tie against Ghana, that's where, that way every single game is a bonus. It's almost like, hey, you know, we didn't think we can do it now, and but then right. we can. Which I think is the approach we took in 2010, because our very first game was against England, and we ended up tying them on a fluke goal, yep. eventually propelling us to, uh, to make it out of the group stage. But uh, interesting comments. The United States plays Ghana on Monday, June 16th in the, uh, the lovely city of Manaus, before we get to our NBA talk, here are comments from former USA head coach and Egyptian coach, Bob Bradley, who knows a little thing or two about coaching Ghana. He was the, uh, the skipper when the U.S. fell to uh, Ghana in the 2010 World Cup and also coached the Egyptian team during African Nations qualifying. Join us here on Fanatic Radio. Bob Bradley, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks. Now, what are sort of the... Uh, the interesting things you've seen from 2010 to the Ghana that will be preparing for the World Cup? Uh, talented. Um, different than 2010. Um, Rivic was the coach. Uh, I thought he did an excellent job the way he organized his team. 
more or less a 4-1-4-1. He used Anthony Anand deep in the midfield. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, their talent, uh, Gian, uh, Asamoa, Prince Boateng, uh, these kind of guys, uh, that's what Ghana is really all about. So this time around, uh, Ryevich's assistant, uh, Apia, is the coach. Uh, seems like a solid guy. Uh, I think he uh, has carried over some ideas, but still um, some of the pure organization that I think we saw in 2010 is not the same. Uh, they're a team that uh, uh, still so many dangerous guys, but the games at times can get a little bit open. Uh, in the back, they can operate individually where it's not always uh, organized perfectly and, and then it can be hit or miss whether guys uh, make very good plays or whether or not they get beat or cause some bad fouls so that is sort of the the, the part to their game that I think can still be uh, tested in a strong way by the United States. He mentioned a new head coach so a new coaching change uh, makes a big difference in the World Cup, doesn't it? I think he's a, a strong individual, well-respected, um, and I think he, he wants uh, players that are all in. Uh, I think one of the question marks is um, where Boateng is in his mind going into this World Cup. Um, with Boateng, there's always a little bit of drama, and there's times when he's outside the team. When he came back, uh, for the two uh, matches that we played, uh, he had a, a slight injury, so he was not in the squad when we played in Kamasi. Uh, and then he used him as a reserve in Cairo. Uh, he did get a late goal. But uh, I, I, I think he's got certain guys that he believes in. Uh, example would be Mohamed Rabu, a uh, young midfielder, uh, plays for uh, Kuban Krasnodar. And, and he's an athletic, physically talented midfielder, and I, I think Apia likes him a lot. So uh, there are certain players that I believe he uh, counts on, uh, but I think there's still uh, a high level of respect within the team for, for him because he's no-nonsense. And uh, I, I think that after Ryevich was there, I think they see it as, as being uh, – a source of pride that a, a Ghanaian now is the, the manager. He's former U.S. and Egyptian head coach Bob Bradley joining us Fanac Radio and Soccer.com. The United States takes him on Monday. Very good on set pieces, but the interesting thing is uh, what does the U.S. need to do or sort of what are Ghana's weaknesses going into this match that the U.S. can exploit? I would say that defensively on set pieces, uh, they are – a little bit all over the shop. So I think this is a weakness. Um, of course, uh, I think one other big variable is what kind of play they get in the goal. Uh, in the last World Cup, I thought Kingston played quite well. Um, when I look back on the game against uh, the U.S., I thought he had an excellent match. Uh, whether they choose Dauda or Corasi, I don't think either one's at the same level. Uh, so I think the U.S. can capitalize on set-piece situations. Uh, Ghana's still got some size. They're athletic, but I think they lose track of people, and uh, it's an area that the U.S. can take advantage of. Uh, on the flip side, they're also 
a, a, a dangerous threat on their attacking set pieces. Uh, they deliver very, very good balls. Uh, Asamoah with his left foot hits hard, swerving balls with pace. Uh, and they've got some athletic guys who can attack the ball. Jean, uh, of course, is one. Uh, Andre Ayu is not uh, a real tall player, but athletically in the air, I would say very strong. Uh, Mensa and Boy, if they're the central backs, give some, some height. Uh, even a player like Juarez, who's short, still is quick off his feet and a threat. So uh, I think that they have ability on their set pieces, but I see the U.S.'s chances on the attacking side in set pieces to be very important in the game. He's Bob Bradley, former U.S. men's national team coach, former Egyptian national team coach, Chrissy of MLSsoccer.com, joining us on Snack Radio. Thanks once again. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you, and uh, keep up the good work. Now, another interesting aspect, BFO, for the USA plays <laughs> on Monday. Quick update, 2-1. to one. Netherlands leads in the 62nd minute. Another team that is very, of course, the USA has no idea about their fate, but one team that has become just a little closer to knowing theirs is the San Antonio Spurs. So we switched to the NBA. A past two games they have played has been nothing but an offensive and defensive clinic to show what true teamwork is. How is it so just a matter of hours that the Spurs are counting down that can win their fifth NBA title? Well, I think it's interesting because with the Spurs, everyone really talks about if there's a good team, it's going to take out the Heat. Even a Heat that has the flaws that this Heat team has shown to have, it's going to be the San Antonio Spurs. And they have played really, except for that one game, that uh, that game, uh, game two, really they have performed beautifully. Uh, if you look at what they've done, the best player on the court all series long has really has been Spurs forward Kawhi Leonard, who I think the series ends today. If it ended right now, he would be your uh, finals MVP. He's been fantastic. Boris Diaz has been fantastic. Uh, Patty Mills had a strong performance. They're getting great performances by everybody, showing how deep and well-rounded of a roster theirs is, unlike Miami, which beyond LeBron James, uh, Dwayne Wade has been uh, was awful last night. Larry Chalmers has fallen off the face of the earth. Uh, Ray Allen hasn't been, has not been there. Uh, Rashard Lewis hasn't been great. Um, Bosch has been okay. He's been a little hit or miss. Now, it's basically LeBron James now against the San Antonio Spurs, which he could beat a lot of teams by himself because, uh, you know, he's just getting into his prime. I don't think the team, a team as well-rounded and fundamentally sound and well-coached as the San Antonio Spurs is a team that LeBron can take upon himself. Now, all the other LeBron haters, if you will, uh, are basically going to use this against him because now, uh, barring something unexpected, the Spurs are going to win this series. And like, well, you know, Michael Jordan didn't lose any series, and LeBron James now lost three. He's only won two. It's nonsense. The guy can't win. I'm tired of the people all hating on him. It's complete nonsense. The guy is the best player this league has seen since Jordan. Not Shaq, not Kobe Bryant, not Kevin Durant, not AI. It's LeBron James. And But the guy literally cannot win, and I don't think he ever is going to win. People need to realize, yes, 
The decision was bad. It was stupid, and I'm sure if he went back in time, he wouldn't do But people need to realize that was four years ago, okay? I think people can move on. It's inane to me when LeBron James gets all this uh, animosity and hatred, and people are like, oh, I just want LeBron to lose, that we haven't seen in the NBA for a while. It's The guy cannot win. I cannot understand it. And I think it's a shame, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> Another flow rant. We love it. So question is, who goes if the Miami if the Miami Heat were to lose uh, the lose the series to the Spurs, who goes first, LeBron James or Eric Spolstra? I don't think either of them are going to go. I don't think LeBron James is going to go anywhere. If LeBron James is going to go anywhere. A, it will look kind of bad, even if he went back to Cleveland, because now it's like, oh, well, he could have won the seven titles in Miami. They keep cutting and running again. And I don't think Spolstra is going to go either. I think that I think that they need to realize that the problem when you build a team like you have is that the bench is – you're going to have a center bench a lot of times in other teams, and right now that bench and the supporting cast has just been completely lacking – for Miami, um, you need uh, weight has been has not been great. So this is why you're hearing the rumors of them. Of, so the interested of them, what they do this offseason to get back to the East is pretty weak. I think as as shown uh, as we all know. So the Heat still should be a, a, a final contender for several more years, and also the fact that LeBron James still isn't even 30. Let alone, and again, it's also very hard to win three titles in a row. Any team that has done it that third time has been the toughest. Actually, with the exception of the Lakers and the Nets. And the Lakers took advantage of a god-awful uh, Eastern Conference, and they got the perfect matchup in a team that was dreadful at center. So Shaq went off. But when you look when the Bulls played the Spurs, the Jazz in 1998, they struggled. I mean, I, I was listening to radio. Some, uh, the guy said that, oh, those Jazz teams were the toughest teams that uh, Jordan had to face. No, they, those Jazz teams only took advantage when the Sonics fell off, the Trailblazers fell off, the Lakers were in the rebuilding process. Those Jazz teams were not great, but they looked better because especially in the 98 series, when they had been three uh, deep finals runs in a row for the Bulls. So, and I think you're seeing that now. And it's also unprecedented, relatively unprecedented for teams to go four finals um, appearances at all in a row. And it's okay if you lose NBA finals. Did Jordan lose them? No. But look at somebody like Jerry West. Jerry West lost like four or something like that. Uh, look at the guys in the 80s. Those guys all lost. Uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, uh, Kareem. Those guys all lost finals. So the fact that, uh, you know, everyone looks at the Heat and, oh, it's, it's a disappointment if they don't win. Well, yes, but you also have to realize that they're still doing something that doesn't get done. That's going to four years in a row. Yeah, and to be fair, the Eric Spolster, he's a good coach. Obviously a good coach to lead a team very good to the finals consistently. Uh, he just was out coached this series, and yeah. it's almost you, you almost look at sadness when you think of the San Antonio Spurs because you know a few years down the road, the Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, Mario Ginobili, 
they're going to retire, retire eventually. Father Time is going to catch up to them. And it's almost like, you know, good basketball teams like that are so far and few between because their offense and the people on ESPN count, NBA counter were going nuts over this. Doug Collins loved it. Jalen Rose loved it. Just the fact that it's such a fluid motion offense that, yep. and, and that everyone is a part. You have Kawhi Leonard, Boris Diaw, who has come out of nowhere to reunite with his French teammate. Danny Green has been consistent. It's more than just three guys. It's more than just a big three. It's like a big ten, for yeah. lack of better words. You know, you brought up the NBA Countdown crew. You know what's great? You know that video they play at the beginning of the NBA Countdown show to introduce the, the cast? How great is that video? And it's played to the, mu- uh, the music from uh, uh, Django and Shane. It's got St. Steele and Collins, Jalen Rose, Bill Simmons. And it's, it's like a movie intro. And it's, 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 uh, I've just been loving that video. It's, it's tremendous. Anything better than the, the Timber Playoffs video featuring your boy Pitbull, who was in Brazil this past week. Yes. Performing oh, his World Cup song. So uh, good to see. Hopefully the Spurs can close it out in style, shooting you know over 50% across the board, which is fantastic, considering that Patrick Mills and company from the bench is getting so much love. Before we send it to commercial breaks, more NBA news. Uh, they got Phil Jackson. They just recently hired... Derek Fisher and now the New York Knicks are still in uh, in in disarray because uh, Flo's boy Frankie Ice, Frank Isola of the New York Daily News, reports that Carmel Anthony still wants to opt out and become a free agent on July first. Would you, if you were Phil Jackson, Flo, would you would you sweat bullets to keep Carmelo or let him try the free agent waters? Well, I think uh, because they're in this position where they the, the really the decision is going to come down to Carmelo. What I ultimately think he's going to do, I think that the heat rumors are very interesting. But I think that for if you're Carmelo Anthony, I think you really do. Uh, what they talked about in the press conference last week, um, or, or actually a few days ago, was that um, they thought uh, Carmelo was going to opt in instead of opt out. I think the far more likely scenario, him opting out but then re-signing with the Knicks. I, I think the Miami rumors are interesting, but it would be that would be because it would be a, a, a solid pay cut for Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, all those guys, and really a lot of it hinges on what Chris Bosh can do. And he has an opt-out clause, but he can choose not to opt-out as well, or some he has some kind of clause. So I think that ultimately he. If you put a gun in my head right now, and believe me, we're in Washington, it could end up happening at some point. Um, but if somebody were to force him to make a decision, I say he opts out but re-signs with the Knicks. I think that here he could still be the star of the team and be a toast of the town if and in all likelihood probably when they start to win again. Yeah, they're saying if he remains with the Knicks, uh, he'd be in position to sign five-year $129 million. Mm-hmm. and then uh, if either of that or the most he could sign would be about $96 million for four years. He has to stay with the Knicks. Because anyway, so it was time getting the general manager, the coach, yep. and, and sort of rebuild. Because if Carmelo walks, you know, the best player on that team is probably, you know, you got Shumpert, Stoudemire, whatever he's signed to do. J.R. Smith, if he's even, you know, alive and around. <laughs> that being said, that's NBA. Uh, the finals will continue in a few in two days. 
think it's Sunday night. Uh, it's when, uh, on sun- it will be on Sunday. So Sunday, so yeah, Stephen A. Smith fired up saying it's already over, which is great, Stephen, considering they still have another game to play, but I digress. When we come back, we'll talk about the Redskins commercial and what that means for the uh, our boy Dan Snyder in the district. And then we've got some U.S. Open golf talk. Stay with us. Show us into Fnatic Radio on blogtalkradio.com. It's Fnatic Radio. Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fnatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. music program. It's an essential part of our society, like hot dogs and Cadillacs. 
with Mike Gardner and Ben Florence providing unique insight from the wide world of sports. He should just retire so he could tip him in bronze and ship him to the Hall of Fame. Playing only the hottest music. The only thing we ever play on the show is Motown and R&B. And always striving for perfection. We're climbing the ladder to success, escalator style. Yes! See for yourself. Check out Fanatic Radio only on Blog Talk Radio. Fanatic Radio. I have no decision-making capability on this program! That's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on... Blog Talk Radio. BlogTalkRadio.com, Trans Sports Music Program. Catch the podcast on iTunes later on Beefo 360. Uh, you can also check out the TV announcing list that ESPN has for the World Cup on Flo's blog. I did, I did that this morning to find out which I'm going to watch on ESPN and who I do not like and will watch on other channels like the BBC or Univision. Uh, the news flash with the. I'm the, yep, yep, CBC, uh, John Helms, a uh, famous English announcer, is doing the games of the Canadian Broadcasting Company. So. Yeah, they're taking, they're taking the world feed. How about that? Yep. That's what we should do once Fanatic, Radio, once Fanatic TV gets uh, up and launching in the next, you know, five Fanatic, years. Fanatic TV. That's something, uh, oh, that, that sounds great. <laughs> taking the world by starting to uh, read Flo's um, World Cup predictions. Which got a lot of flack last week from my uh, glance at yeah, my 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 actual my group stage predictions. I didn't go as far That's as picking true. the knockout stages. That's true. Um, yeah, you're, uh, you're so right. Um, in terms of the flack, it was like I wake up on I, I posted the predictions on what was it Monday night, and Tuesday morning I check it and I'm like, oh wow, I already got a few comments, and now it's just balloons. So actually, there hasn't been a lot of comments in the last several days, but people were like. This is the most poorly written thing ever. You don't know what you're talking about. How do you say Group C is feeble? Uh, you say Lion. Actually, one guy was like really angry. He said this was a piece uh, piece of uh, uh, a uh, of a um, a vulgar word for excrement, if you will. That's explicit. Uh, he, exactly. And he said that. How can you say that? Uh, uh, Lionel Messi has not performed. And I said, no, I said he's been a relative disappointment for his standards, which is true. Well, did I, do, am I a soccer expert? No. Have I ever tried to say, portray myself as that? No. I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm no Warren Barton, no Eric Winalda to, to uh, say uh, a couple of clowns in Fox Sports Uno. But, um yeah. Yeah, so, but I mean, you know, I, I try to, I don't know why people are like, yeah, don't d- d- don't ever write about this again, you're trying to make it, like, excuse me, last time I checked, the World Cup is supposed to be an inclusive event, we're bringing people together from all around the world, and they're trying to shut, like, somebody like me out, I don't understand it, because again, I mean, yeah, am I a brilliant soccer pick? No. But I felt I had pretty relatively safe soccer predictions. People were getting fired up because I had France at the end of the group play. It's France. You might want to put this in the mail. 
before you go to jail. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't I don't get it. What do I know? Maybe I should. Well, you do I... get is golf, and the U.S. Open is right. going on right now. Mm. Markheimer leading the field with ferocity, as uh, many are wanting a USA golfer to win. Jordan Spieth was in the mix yesterday. A lot of interesting uh, stories surrounding this uh, this tournament, though. Lefty Phil Mickelson uh, was getting. I guess rumors of of, of of like federal charges at the FBI. Yep. But he's performing well. Uh, yeah, he actually has been playing well because there was uh, the rumors that the FBI and the SEC were uh, investigating him for uh, insider trading. Um, but what? Uh, but now he's he has played relatively well. He uh, he just got underway relatively uh, relatively lately. And, you know, Phil Mickelson, this is a tournament that he's finished fifth, uh, well, not second, like about five times as a record for one of our finishes. He's never been able to get it done. But, and, of course, one of the more famous ones were uh, 1999, the first time, or not the last time, but the second last time, U.S. Open was at Pioneer's number two, which is where they are this weekend, is uh, with, um, with, uh, well, uh, him finishing second to, um, I forget the name of the guy, and he died like a few months after he won that tournament. But it's, it's it, uh, when I was listening to the radio there doing like updates, it's, the thing about the U.S. Open is that it's supposed to be a very scoring. That's the whole point. I mean, Johnny Miller said that in Piners number two, the last time they hosted, which I believe was 2005, like, yeah, driving there was like hitting like the ball off of the, the hood of a VW Beetle. So for Martin Kamer, a very good player, to go with back-to-back 65s and two straight minus fives to 70 is par for a round, it's very shocking. And their course went under a big renovation. There has been some criticism of that in that now it's it has lost the edge and lost the, the difficulty. The, the reason why, like, we remember when Rory McIlroy uh, dominated in 2011 at the U.S. Open, when it was in this neck of the woods in Congressional, is because that, you know, he was basically dominating the course and he saw very low scoring. Generally, that's not supposed to happen at a U.S. Open. It's generally around, it's even cards, minus ones, plus ones in that area. So it's definitely been surprising to see somebody just Play tremendous, uh, like Timer is thus far. Yeah, he's minus ten right now. Kevin Na is second at minus four. Closest American Brandon Todd minus three. Looks like Timer could easily be cruising with still two days left in the tournament. Another flash. Uh, Netherlands now up four to one on the defending champ Spain. So if anyone has Spain uh, going out of the group in style. Yikes! But then again, it is the first game, and they could probably just take it all out on Australia when they play them next. That being Wait said, how, how are they up five to one? What happened here? I know, right? Netherlands—they have such youth. Many uh, John Champion, the guy doing the call, he's saying that there's a potential that Spain is sort of past their peak, considering that this group, this core group of guys, have been together since when they won the Euro Cup in 2008. So you have to figure six that, years I mean, together. The Netherlands team is not the Netherlands team that was is not as good as an older, a much older 
team than that, the, the, the Dutch squad we saw finish runner-up to Spain in 2010, and they were terrible in the Euro Cup. I'm, I'm sh- completely stunned that they have put up a five spot. Uh, this is like when, some, like when my roommate plays me in FIFA and I just get killed. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't get it. Oh well, but I think it's a good. It's a, it, I think a team that will win the World Cup is someone with a good mix of youth and experience. They still got the Van Versies, the Wesley Snyder's, the Ian Robbins, and then they have a lot of nobodies I've never heard of. Many, you know, yeah. five syllable names. Because hey, who doesn't love the Dutch? Uh, to NFL, to NFL news. Mm. The Washington Redskins might be under a little more pressure than they were hoping for. And by that, I just mean Dan Snyder here. They snip it from a commercial uh, from changethemascot.org that was aired during the Game 3 of the NBA Finals. Bills. Will Rogers. Geronimo. Unyielding. Strong. Indomitable. Native Americans call themselves many things. The one thing they don't. Now, some background information. This was launched by the uh, Oneida Indian Nation. The campaign calls upon the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell to, quote, do the right thing and bring an end to the use of this racial epithet wanting to change the mascot for good. Before, what, did, what was your first impressions when you saw this commercial? Well, the thing is, and it's, it's, a, it's like a two-minute commercial that they had on it. It was a long commercial, and it's one that there was a lot of hype around it because it was promoted that during the NBA Finals, something of uh, big, uh, you know, having a big wide audience because it's a big event, that you had a commercial like this. I, I don't think that a commercial like this, I mean, Dan, it's, there's gonna be, it's going to take a lot for Dan Snyder to change his mind. I, I really don't know what it's going to take because he can just say, like, you know what, I, I don't care what you people say. I don't care how offensive the name is, even though he refuses to admit that the name is offensive. Like, it's a symbol of pride. Like, okay. Um, but I really don't think that the, the commercial itself will force, you know, Snyder. If anything, it will keep uh, public pressure on Snyder higher and keep this uh, issue going and to where that now it's uh, for the team to discuss, and now it keeps not having to put Snyder in the organization, play defense now, and trying to defend this nickname, uh, which so many, uh, which it's widely considered to be a, a harsh slur towards uh, Native Americans. But. It definitely uh, was brought up in, in, in a, a right time of year. Almost, I, I guess it is what it isn't. Because you bring it up in the NBA Finals in big cities, they get a lot of viewership. But then, you know, the NFL season doesn't officially start until September. So uh-huh. I, I guess what they're planning on doing is putting heat over the summer to try to get it changed. But I think these people don't really understand, the people supporting this, is it's going to take, more, I think, more than just a commercial and, and sort of public campaigns because 
you know, players are still trying to fight and get money from the concussion case. And that was, you yeah. know, last year. And the NFL, what the NFL is doing it is they're just going to keep stretching this out until it just gets washed away in the public domain. Because in today's, you know, Twitter view, Twitterverse stories are just uh, rapidly evaporating from the public eye because something bigger and, and, and worse will come up. So I'd be curious to see where the where this organization, where Indian Nation sort of goes with this, if they continue to put pressure on it or if they just sort of sit back and rest on the laurels of this, you know, and moving commercial, whatever happens to it. But mm-hmm. the NFL, from what many have seen, is a, uh, is a lot harder to to take down than I think some anticipate. Sticking with NFL news, uh, an interesting story that, Mr. Beast Mode, a.k.a. Marshawn Lynch, uh, could possibly be mulling retirement. He's sitting out at uh, OTAs until a new contract is signed. This guy has had, you know, a rap sheet a mile long. He went the minimum number at the uh, Super Bowl media day. He didn't attend the White House because he just, quote, wasn't having it. So should Marshawn Lynch retire, or should the Seahawks be willing to pay him more to keep him as a running back? Well, I think that he's in a position to where he can say, you know what, I was a big part of a Super Bowl winning team and that the report that he did consider or he would consider – well, from what I see is that the report is that he could consider retiring um, if they win – if they won the Super Bowl. And obviously they won the Super Bowl, so – and now he's uh, holding out. So I don't think he's going to retire. I think that it's not unprecedented because Barry Sanders retired when he was in the prime of his career, uh, running back. Um, Tiki Barber did that. Because especially when you're somebody like Marshawn Lynch, you play so physical, such a physical, uh, dominating running back, that he's at more uh, risk for injuries and end up like kind of what happened to Earl Campbell. Because now Earl Campbell is such a dominant one of the most dominant running backs ever with how he ran in the 70s, now really can barely walk. So I think that's part of it, but I think it's also looking to get more money, which I think he does deserve after he's a big part of this team's resurgence and winning the Super Bowl. So well, he's, that, he's 28 years old, too. Yeah, so I don't think he's going to retire. I think that it's basically a little some posturing on his end. I think he knows what he's doing. I don't think he expects to retire, but I think that, you know, it's just trying to put some more pressure on the Seahawks. And, yeah. Yeah, 20 years old, he had uh, about 1,200 yards last year, third consecutive 1,000 season, second highest second highest season total. So he's, you know, he's not you know, bad. He's usually guys that get this age sort of just doing it to get a paycheck, but he's still uh, producing even though his antics – Send me over the edge, but as, nevertheless, uh, OTAs are still going on. Uh, wait, wait, you had a problem with him at the uh, the uh, talking to the media or not going to the White House? What's wrong with that? Well, you should go to the White House because I mean, if he, if he doesn't get to go, I mean, I'll never get to go to the White House. Well, but, but that's such a that's such an unfair argument. Unless he, we win the Nobel Peace Prize, he doesn't like to be. He does not like to be in the spotlight. He, he's not comfortable doing it. And if that's his reasoning, I think that, you know, that's commendable that he knows he's not going to be comfortable in that scenario. I don't think it's like a political um, political thing at all. Like when Tim Thomas decided not to go, that was 
more or less a political thing. And hey, you're allowed to do that. So I think that it's he does not. You're not obliged. You do not have to go. It's not like something like all right, you have to go to the White House. It's something that he can choose not to go, and he chose not to go, and I have no problem with it. Speaking of the Seahawks' coach, Pete Carroll, I said probably one of the funniest comments last week uh, when he told the LA Times uh, an interview that he would have stayed at UFC had he had known that the sanctions were coming. It's the day list of my weekly, it's my laugh of the week. Because I think, <laughs> if I'm right in saying, the reason why he left UFC was because the allegations were coming on Reggie Bush. Um, yes, I think that the, I think he knew the allegations were coming. Also, they had had a disappointing year. They only won, like, relatively speaking, eight games when they were a consistent title contender. And I think that for, I think definitely the Reggie Bush thing was a key reason why he chose to left. It was like a perfect storm of maybe the USC teams were not going to be as dominant as they had been. Um, and I think also he had an urge to get back to the NFL. He had two NFL jobs. The Jets job he got fired from prematurely, and then they hired Rich Cote with a total train wreck. And then the Patriots job, he was a disappointment there. I think these guys, I even think you've seen this in Nick Saban. They want to go, they want to succeed in the NFL because when you have so much success in college and you build a dynastic kind of program, it can always be kind of boring, and you want a new challenge, which is why I think that I wouldn't be surprised somewhere down the line of Nick Saban does decide to go back to the NFL and give that a whirl. Yeah, considering he did so poorly with the Dolphins that first go-around. Yeah. All right, another uh, funny laugh. Uh, this was last week after um, our boys at Cal- our horse California Chrome did not win. Funny story about that. Apparently, uh, Jaron Berman was at the Belmont. Oh, and God, I uh, undisclosed amount. He refused to tell me, but there are photos on the internet with him holding up tickets. And when I asked him what horse it was, he said California Chrome. And uh, funny, funny that um, he did not win. But even yeah, more funny the was thing. the guy who. Even fun, more funny was the guy. In my lifetime, I'll never see another Triple Crown winner because of the way they do this. It's not fair to these horses that have been in the game since day one. I look at it this way. If you can't make enough points to get in the Kentucky Derby, you can't run in the other two races. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Because this is not fair to these horses that have been running their guts out for these people and for the people that believe in them. We have somebody to come up like, this is a coward's way out, in my opinion. This is a coward's way out. He's right in saying that, you know, things should be done to fix it because I guess he's saying that from an owner that this horse has lost a chance at rewriting history. He has since apologized. So I don't understand why he apologized, but do you believe in the, uh, the California Chrome Brigade that some things should be changed with horse racing? Absolutely. I think that, and I wrote about this, that it, does he have sour grapes? Absolutely. And his examples that he was using in, in the various interviews before he eventually apologized, like you go to uh, an ice cream place, you ask for three scoops, you only get one, or him playing against a kid in a wheelchair and basketball. His, his examples were inane. But the problem, the thing is, it is a rigged system. This, this is one of the key reasons why we have not seen a Triple Crown winner in 35 years, uh, however it is, 38, I forget the... Uh, yeah, apparently, well, apparently 15 horses have won both 
yeah. and failed to uh, to do it. Yes, and we've now had like it's like twelve or thirteen in a row or whatever it is. But this is the key reason you have, and you look at the six of the last eight horses, including this year. The horse that won did not compete in one of the in uh, in both of the two races, so they were not in the Kentucky. It definitely is puts you at an, a, a, a clear disadvantage. There's no question about that, and I think having I don't see what the problem is having a horse because it is totally unfair. Either these two things: you either have say you have a horse because the three horses that finished ahead of California Chrome either. Uh, had not run both of the two races or had only run only one. So I don't see why making at least run one, and why don't they stretch it out more? This horse had only run twice since February, the one that won uh, totalist, and they and had a run in a month. California Cubs run three times in a month. So I don't understand why you can't either space it out and have horses run at least one. I think the system is totally unfair, as the as um, the uh, the co-owner said. I think with the sour grapes, absolutely. With the horse put in a bad position from the start, of course. But I think that now there are only four horses that had run in the previous two races, or three of them, including California Chrome. The other one finished seventh, and one finished dead last. So I think that the system is definitely very much against it now. Could you say winning a triple crown should should be tough? It absolutely is, but the fact that it shouldn't be impossible, and I think the system is broken, and I think that if they don't want to see a triple crown right if they want to, you know, continue to tease the country, that's fine. You get big ratings out of it, but I think that the system is flawed, and I think that there do need to be changes, not just so that we will have a triple crown right and make it easy to do it, but that we have a better chance of doing it. So that is a legitimate uh, possibility. It's something that people can aspire to do rather than being at a lost cause. Of course. Of course. That's like, that's like that took the whole thing with the NFL wanting to add another team to the playoffs. You know, it would be great for those those teams. But in reality, would it really, really be justifiable to see a sub-500 team be named Super Bowl champion? Probably not. And now with two minutes left, I don't or know why. Even, even the NCAA tournament, expanding that. Yeah, exactly. A badger by him, but uh, John Gardner joins this show for the last few minutes in a oh, witnessing a 5-1 beatdown of the world <laughs> champion. Spain is overrated. Do you agree? No. They, if you what? if you look at four years Thank ago, you. If, you at, if you look at four years ago, uh, they lost. It, even though it wasn't as bad as it was today, they still lost, and they still had a great result right. in the World Cup. No, the Dutch were just a very oh. good team. Not a very good team. A very good goal. Sam Percy's goal is probably one of pure poetic justice, considering he jumped from the penalty spot to head it over. You can see us. Well, the ball itself was terrific. Daily Blind, a player that I've looked at as probably one of the, the, the most up-and-coming players, especially in this World Cup. Daily Blind with a terrific ball. He had two assists, two really good balls. He had the one on the Ryan Robinson second goal. So. All right, uh, interesting from uh, – Analysis on that. Uh, I want to talk to you and ask you about uh, apparently tomorrow England plays Italy at Manaus. And so far that field looks like, like an inside joke for us, looks like Germany Park, only worse. And then there's rumors that's on the Daily Mail that FIFA paid people to spray, spray paint it green to cover up <laughs> the fact that it looks like crap. Uh, 
Do you think the field will be a factor tomorrow in the England-Italy game? No, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of these players, I'm sure, have played on worse. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not necessarily the, the best. But, no, I don't think it will be a factor tomorrow. I think come game time, I think I think everything will be uh, ship-shaped and ready to go. Uh, well, thing. it's interesting because the floodlights went out at the stadium of the Brazil-Croatia game. And then today in Mexico, Cameroon, they're playing in, in, you know, hurricane winds and rain and rain downpour. Because playing literally playing in the rainforest. Uh, what's <laughs> what's the next sort of crazy thing that could happen during the World Cup as we uh, send it off the live show into the uh, special Senegal overtime podcast on iTunes? I think that the next thing is that the the, the protest are going to become, they're going to start to be even bigger as the, the uh, we get higher profile events. So I think we're going to see start seeing potentially some, some wild scenes of police clashing with protesters, kind of like what we saw yesterday. I mean, hey, any time that uh, the police use mace, uh, you know, that that's never usually a good sign if the police is forced to use mace uh, on people, and it never looks good. PR wise, I mean, it's not something that you should be, you know, worried about the PR. But you're, you know, you're trying to show off the country, and you have these huge protests, you use mace and all that. So I think you know, we could potentially see that um, some some heightened protests and a little more fervor, which, you know, fervor is great. John Garner, your thoughts? No, I, I I agree. I think that that could certainly be something that that we could see. Um, certainly, the pitch was obviously uh, a talking point and an issue. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, the protests are certainly something that a lot of people have kept their eye on and have been watching and following very closely. And yeah, certainly it would it would really be a shame if if they uh, if it if it really took hold and took effect on this tournament. But I mean that's something certainly that's uh, it could be noted. I think just as so what that, makes you what makes you what makes the World Cup the event that it is? Because I know I know all this negativity and the fact that FIFA's corrupt and Franz Beckenbauer got a ninety day suspension for failing to cooperate <laughs> with the FIFA racism committee. But what uh, beside that, gloss over all the bad stuff that happens in FIFA. What makes the World Cup what it is? I mean, it comes around every four years, and it truly is a, an event that unites the entire globe, and you know has you know everybody sort of encapsulated in, in one event. I mean, I don't think, apart from maybe the Olympics, I don't think there's anything that could you know quite capture the world's attention like the World Cup. And plus, as, as soccer is is one of the beloved and watched sports all over the world, I think so many people can relate to it, and so many people can can you know be a part of it. I'm sure if you asked every player that is playing in this year's tournament, you know, where they were, you know, what what moment has, you know, sort of, you know, em- impacted or emphasized their career, they would easily say a World Cup. It, it, would, it would be far, from the, it'd be far, I think, from the truth for them to, to not mention a World Cup as being something that has really, um, you know, taken hold of their, their career as a footballer. So I think, yeah, it's just it's something, it's a, it's a global event that really everybody can relate to. And, and even if soccer fans are not, people, people certainly... Um, patriotism and nationalism certainly is something that uh, draws a lot of attention, and I think that that could help as well. So yeah, I think that's that's just what what makes it so special. 
What's the most annoying thing you have seen through the uh, the hype leading up to the World Cup? I'll give you mine. It is the fact that Twitter is taking an investment in the World Cup by showing the scores on the web version on the right side and the fact that why would I be following the game on Twitter when I am watching it live on the game? That is my bone to pick with the, with the society. What has been your uh, biggest pet peeve in the World Cup hype? Um, it's tough. There's a lot that there's a lot that easily could 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 give vote, but I don't know. I think a lot of the social media stuff is it, it does it, it doesn't really make much sense considering that there's a lot of other options to watch. Um, I think the ESPN broadcasters certainly <laughs> the panel that they pick um, isn't. And, and sort of like the oversaturation of the hype that, like the the guys in the studio given book, certainly doesn't doesn't help the the fact. But no, I think I think there's a whole. I would say the social media has, has really sort of it's it's gotten a little out of control. <laughs> it's just too too much involved, and it, I don't think it really needs to be. That being said. Um... Do you think the media should back off in the United States, or what are your thoughts on how they're going to approach Ghana, considering that game is only just a few hours away, a few days away? I think you have to, I mean, they, they should usually take, take uh, inspiration from some of the results so far, um, and, and I think the best way to go about it would just to be to come in and, and just play, I, mean, I know it sounds pretty cliche, but do the best they can, I think, you know, if they go out and play timid and play, and they don't they don't start strong, then they'll suffer, and that could easily be a uh, something. You know, it could it could affect them. I think um, we saw Brazil not have have a slow start, um, and that could have cost them. Had the had the Croatians been a bit more clinical in the goal, um, we certainly saw Spain, um, you know, struggle after scoring. So I mean, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see. It'll be a good game. I think the U.S. Is, I think Clinton's got got the uh, Got the boys ready, and we'll see what happens. We'll see how uh, how they take shape and how the game takes form. But it'll be interesting to see, certainly. We'll get you out of here on this, John. Uh, many are predicting, Flo included, predicting a South American team is going to win. Uh, many have Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina as favorites, considering it's in their backyard. But after uh, the few games I have seen on the European squads, is it? Uh, a South American team's likely chance to win, or will we see yet another European champion? I'm staying by my point. As a European champion, I think, I mean, certainly Germany. Is probably, Germany, Germany is my first pick. Um, to be fair, though, the oh, Dutch. Oh, mine too. How about that? I think the Dutch have really shown a lot of brilliance. Even though they, today, you know, I, I wouldn't consider it a fluke. I think the Dutch have a lot of firepower. They have some really good players. Um, They've they've really sort of come together to side. Louis Van Hal's got them on board, which is rare. You rarely see that in a Dutch camp. Without it's it doesn't it doesn't go go out of a major tournament without some controversy. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the Dutch are definitely could be considered favorites. But yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with my well, initial pick is Germany. I just don't see a South American team really really grabbing hold of this tournament, despite Brazil. Especially the way Brazil played the other day. Well, I mean, I think Steve McMahon made a clear, made a pretty, pretty fair point yesterday. Um, if Brazil was not at home, I don't think they would be considered favorites, or even in, in even in the running. Um, so certainly, home field advantage and um, the crowd behind them 
certainly will, will help spare them on. But, yeah, I think I'm, I'm staying with my initial pick with Germany. I think Germany is very strong and very very capable of, of, of just that, that workmanlike result, which they're so good at and so so well known for. So I think they could they could be a, a force to be reckoned with and certainly a team that could that could take the World Cup by storm. All right, John, thank you for joining us, our uh, soccer insider here on Fanatic Radio. You'll be joining us later uh, in the upcoming months, especially as the World Cup goes on, to help us break down most of the games, matches, and players that have way too many syllables and those I have never heard of. Thanks once again for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, B-Flow, end the show on this. A very funny article I actually sent you on Facebook on our good friends at Awful Announcing. We all know how American University has pretty pretty bad marketing campaigns to get fans to games, right? Uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I think we have a very strong <laughs> fan We support. sell out every sport. First of all, I want to give a <laughs> shout-out to the field hockey team who is uh, over in the Netherlands right now playing some uh, some friendlies, getting a chance to watch, I think, uh, the European Championships for men and women in field hockey, which uh, that team definitely needs. They lost a lot of players and have a new goalie, sort of an entirely new team. And it's funny, uh, Emily Iketa, who will be joining us at Snack Radio in a few weeks once they get back, she is blogging her trip. And a lot of the time the common theme is we are very tired because we had no subs. <laughs> the fact that they're playing 70 minutes. So back to my point, though, uh, an interesting fact of a marketing campaign, the University of Miami of uh, the U apparently released an ad in the, what was it, what newspaper was it? I think the Palm, Palm Beach Post that encourages fans to go to fewer games, saying not many teams would tell you to go to fewer games. Most try to push the season package. But the university is extremely thankful of the support and understands that tickets aren't for everyone, and that's okay. So they're offering this sort of two-game mini-plan, encouraging fans to go to the important games and don't go to every game. Should Americans try that same tactic? Well, I I think it actually is an interesting idea because the thing about the U and about the football program is that – the attendance has really struggled of late. And a key reason of that is that, well, Miami fans are what they are. Why do I go to a game when you can go frolic on South Beach? I mean, you know, it's a legitimate question. A. B, um, Miami football has been good, not what they were when they were no more as the U, as I, I do the hand signals. I know you can't see me, or anybody can see me, for that matter, but I am doing it. A and, and B and C, they play like 30 minutes from campus in the 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 uh, the, the Dolphin Stadium, almost um, yeah, the Miami Miami Garden. And it's they? A, yeah, it's they play in some stadium. It's a stadium that's in the middle of nowhere. It's in like uh, Miami Gardens, so it's a good 30 minutes or so from campus. So it's not a great place to get to. So. I think it's a good idea. I think have, trying to get people to go to the bigger games and I think having them focus on drawing. But I think in a way AU does that. Doesn't AU kind of do that with the Blue Crew games where you go to this game, there's pizza, go there's uh, uh, Robex smoothies, um, you know. So don't, don't really kind of do that 
rest that you uh, begin instead of trying to sell out to everyone? Yeah, we have, we have the the Phil Reeves, the Phil Bender game. We have the Blue Out game. Exactly. But it, it's it's we don't take. I think we should take the same approach Miami does, encouraging fans to just go to those games, uh-huh. considering that there's a lot to do in D.C. At case in point, what we've experienced. I think one it has to be. Uh, more solid selection of non-conference games because everyone's going to know of the Patriot League opponents. The Boston game, I think, will always be popular, especially if how good this yeah. team is next year. But no, this is a good game. And then uh, non-student-wise, the big games are the Army Navies, who loves taking on the service academies. And hopefully, uh, as the Patriot League grows, I'd love to see the, the, the home and away between Loyola because I think mileage-wise, that's the closest school to us. Let us see those games. The key is the non-conference games because that's where because by by the time Patriot League season rolls around in January and February, that's all everyone's talking about is March Madness, college basketball, college football's over, NBA, NHL is sort of in mid-season, and then baseball doesn't start till the very end of March. So you already have conference games on lock. It's so whatever you do in those non-conference games that makes it great. And uh-huh. knowing how much clout Mike Brennan has. I think he could bring some uh, some pretty solid mid-majors uh, into Bender Arena. Mm, I agree. I agree. All right, so that will do it for uh, today's episode of Fanatic Radio. I want to uh, thank MLSSoccer.com for uh, the Bob Bradley interview, John Gardner for joining us on World Cup. That Netherlands won 5-1 to one against Spain. And John Gardner says, do not panic if you're a fan of the defending champs because they did the exact same thing in 2010. And ended up winning the entire thing. So lo and behold. Uh, after, uh, later today, Chile plays Australia. And then tomorrow, England and Italy on the dirt field in Manaus. And who else, who else is tomorrow? USA plays on Monday. Uh, for those that did not know. Tomorrow, Uruguay, Costa Rica, Colombia, Greece, and Ivory Coast, Japan. So, a very, very good slate of games. Uh, Fnac Radio will also be bringing special World Cup episodes, so stay posted on Ford's yeah, blog cool and on Facebook. Yeah, and on Facebook, we'll be bringing you several uh, World Cup episodes. So, from all of us, from our, from our co-host, Ben Florence, this has been Fnac Radio on Blog Talk Radio, America's premier sports music program. I'm your host, Mike Gardner, saying so long. We'll see you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.